1: For our Glickman Global Segment, we'll talk about the Olympics. We're going to talk a little Major League Soccer and the franchise values that are really going through the roof compared to where they were a few years ago. And we're also going to talk about the NHL. Yes, we're actually going to have some positive things to say about the NHL this week. Hope you're sitting down for that one. In Segment 4, Sports Sense, Henry Abbott. He's the author and founder of TrueHoop.com on ESPN.com. Uh, I read his site regularly. Big fan of his work. We're going to discuss the MVP debate. Kobe Bryant of the Lakers won the MVP award this week. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the latest on the situations in Seattle and New Orleans. Some interesting developments in both cities this week. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, uh, big news this week, and we rarely say this, but uh, horse racing really at the forefront of the sports media coverage this week, and we saw 8 Bells, the Philly, who finished second in the Kentucky Derby, break down, and a lot of people have been very critical of NBC's coverage and just the overall sport of horse racing, the conditions that these horses race under, several other things that we'll talk about in headlines, but uh, rough week for the image of horse racing.
2: And it seems very ironic that we talked about Yum! Brands and the Yum! Fecta, which we'll get into in headlines, but uh, very controversial with uh, horse racing this week.
1: Well, I wouldn't want to be a sponsor tied to horse racing, especially the Kentucky Derby right now. Again, big image problems for the sport of horse racing. This is yet another high profile horse in a high profile race on national TV that breaks down. Look at Barbaro in 2006, broke down. Uh, this is yet another horse. And, you know, I don't think people are that interested in horse racing to begin with. So, bad news for the sport of horse racing. We're also going to discuss Matt Walsh. Could he be the New England Patriots? Worst nightmare, the former assistant coach turns over eight tapes to the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell this week. That could be very bad news for the Patriots. This story just won't go away. We've got headlines coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the Center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education.
0: Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger.
1: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. As we discussed before the break, headline number one, tragedy at the Kentucky Derby. Uh, Eight bells, the Philly that finished second in the race Euthanized on the track following the race, and Nathan, many people critical of NBC, and let me be yet another person to join that crowd. I thought NBC's coverage of the Derby was terrible. I don't care about fashion shows two hours before the race. A lot of these vignettes that they run, you know, they try and focus on who's going to win the race, but the race itself and after the race, that's really when they made their mistakes. Uh, They spent more time focused on Big Brown, the winner of the race, than they did, frankly, one of the biggest stories in horse racing in several years, this Philly 8 Bells breaks down. Now, I'm not saying you need to show the horse writhing in pain and them putting the horse down on the track, but you need to be much more clued into the audience so they know what's going on. It was almost like it was an afterthought. And... You know, I know that there's a fine line between being sensitive and being uh, cruel and being reality TV, but I think we needed a little more reality TV than we got. I thought they left the viewers hanging at the end of the telecast. Well, yeah, and
2: this is such a black eye for horse racing. I mean, interest is down in horse racing. I think ratings were down for the Derby this year, and really the only time anymore that people get interested in horse racing as a whole aside from the Derby is if someone's going for the Triple Crown and this couldn't be any worse for horse racing and like you said NBC's coverage was was below par
1: now the other story here is the surfaces on these tracks around the country and even at the Kentucky Derby Uh, they've changed a lot over the last decade many people complaining about the surfaces and saying maybe that's why we're seeing more horses break down I think there needs to be some investigations and some reform into horse racing. So these breakdowns, these horses are worth lots and lots of money. And obviously they're animals and you want to be kind to animals. Some people would say horse racing is a cruel sport anyways. But I think there needs to be some reform and investigations done. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing to watch here, Big Brown, who won the Derby in only his fourth race, he's never lost a race. Well, what's happened is the Kentucky Derby field wasn't that great. A lot of the owners of these horses think it's cruel, the schedule, so they're not going to race them in the next race and maybe not the next race after that. So I think you've got uh, the Belmont and then the Preakness, I believe is how it goes. What's going to happen here is Big Brown's going to race against a pretty diluted field he may win the Triple Crown just because he's racing against nobody and horses that have never raced in these caliber of of races before.
2: Well, and this is the only thing that the the horse racing can hope for right now is a Triple Crown after a black guy like this. Otherwise, it's going to stick around for some time. Our next headline, this is bad news for Bill Belichick and the New England
1: Patriots. Former New England Patriots employee Matt Walsh has finally turned over his evidence In this videotaping controversy that has really marred the Patriots all season long, the New York Times reported the NFL confirmed on Wednesday that Walsh sent eight tapes to the league that show the Patriots recording the play-calling signals of five opponents in six games between 2000 and 2002. Taping of the signals of opposing teams is prohibited by league rules, and the Patriots were already fined. $750,000 and docked a first-round draft choice in September for taping the New York Jets. Now, not part of these tapes that were turned into the league was the 2002 Super Bowl walkthrough between the Rams and the Patriots. Uh, That had been much discussed. That's not on there, but on there, one of the tapes turned in the 2002 AFC Championship game between the Steelers and the Patriots. This is a story that's not going away. It's bad for the NFL, and it's definitely bad for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. If the league finds that there are some damaging items on this tape and that the Patriots were cheating, it's going to be real bad news. It will be the story of the year in the NFL because you may see Bill Belichick, who's won several Super Bowls and been a very successful coach. Robert
2: Kraft probably isn't going to put up with it. Goodell's not going to put up with it. Belichick may lose his job. Well, you know, I got to disagree with you a little bit, Brian. I've said since this happened, I don't think that this has done as much to hurt the Patriots' image as people are talking about. I think people are still love the Patriots, even despite what's happened here. And I don't know that it's going to hurt their image as much as you're saying it's going to.
1: Well, I think it is, and and you know, we'll have a debate in future shows about this. But this is a big deal, and you know, for any league, for any sport, your credibility is the most important thing you have, and if one of your uh, most prominent teams, a team that has won multiple championships, is found to be cheating. I think it's going to be real bad news for the league. Our next headline: NBC next week plans to announce the entry price for a thirty-second spot in the Super Bowl that is going to be played on in February. Uh, Super Bowl forty-three. NBC has the rights to the next Super Bowl. Three million dollars for a thirty-second spot. Fox got. Uh, 2.7 for the Super Bowl this year. So NBC, look at this. They've got the Olympics coming up this summer in August. And they've got the Super Bowl coming up next year in February. When you're looking at prime sports inventory over the next 12 months, Doesn't get any better than this for NBC.
2: No, it doesn't. And it makes advertisers have to pick and choose where they're going to run ads. And I think that they're still going to go after the Super Bowl. You know, the Olympics are in Beijing. They'll be you know, streaming on video. But I don't think advertisers are willing to invest a lot of money in the Olympics on TV because it's going to be on at all hours of the night. Coming up next, Marshall Glickman. We're going to
1: do our Glickman Global segment. We're going to discuss Major League Soccer. A lot of international stars in Major League Soccer, including David Beckham. The NHL. I might actually have some nice things to say about the NHL. Hope you're sitting down for that. We're also going to talk some Olympics. It's coming up in August. Are the sponsors receiving backlash for their association with these Olympics, which are taking place in China? You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. I feel like I'm home.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or online at SportsBusinessRadio.com. For an international outlook on the world of sports business, Sports Business Radio presents Glickman Global. My guest is Marshall Glickman.
1: He's the CEO and founder of G2 Strategic. You can find him online at G2Strategic.net. Marshall, it's been a while. Uh, glad to have you back on the show. How you doing?
3: Hey, great, Brian.
1: So the Olympics are coming up in Beijing in August. I've talked a lot about the Olympics on this show since coming back from Beijing last September. And some of the sponsors, the top-level sponsors, are paying upwards of $100 million to be associated with the Games. We've seen already a number of political protests with the torch run and there promises to be more protests. Marshall, you used to run the Portland Trailblazers and you make big decisions every day. If you were the CEO of one of these companies, let's say a Johnson and Johnson Coke, someone like that, and you're spending all this money, yet people are protesting your company because of your association with the games, what do you do?
3: I think companies who invest in the Olympic Games, which is, you know, a very unique property, understand that there's a certain amount of Politics that it, you know is kind of goes with the territory. So you know, and, and and I don't think it's a bad thing that companies are associated with the idea of using sports as a bully pulpit to encourage better understanding between these you know Western culture and and Eastern culture. So. While there's a lot of protest, and certainly for good reason, I I don't
1: think it's a a big affront from a a corporate point of view. So you think when most people watch the games, they're focused on the games themselves and not so much uh, the peripheral stuff that's going on? And if you're a sponsor, probably not too big of a reason to be worried.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also uh, that, you know, it's not a bad thing that people use the games to help influence, to try to influence China to change certain policies, particularly when it comes to human rights. And I don't think it's a bad thing for companies that are kind of associated with pushing China in that direction.
1: Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to watch to see if there are any companies that uh, kind of push that envelope. Last week, we had NBA Commissioner David Stern on the show, and, last question to him was asking him just about this and using the Olympics as a platform to get your word out politically or otherwise. And uh, he thought that everyone should be able to speak their minds, whether they're athlete sponsors or anyone else. And uh, I tend to agree with that. I'm joined by Marshall Glickman, the CEO and founder of G2 Strategic. Find him online at g2strategic.net. Marshall, let's talk about Major League Soccer for a minute. We saw David Beckham come and sign with the LA Galaxy last year. A lot of hoopla around that. The one thing I've got to say that I've noticed about the MLS of late, the franchise values. They're really starting to increase and I think if you're one of these teams that got in on the ground floor, boy, you sure like to see those uh, franchise values increase.
3: No doubt about it. I mean, it's a great investment for people who came in early and I don't think it's a bad investment for the next wave. I think Major League Soccer is doing a lot of things very well. I mean, you know, and I have no interest in saying that. I am very much an outside observer to the situation. But I mean, if you look at the history of kind of, you know, startup leagues in this country over the last what, Brian, you know, 20, 30 years. Right. Right. I mean, most of these leagues are, you know, are fantasy, right? They're not gonna be successful and I think in almost every case, they've gone out of business this one hasn't. This one has been around how long now? Do you know the number of years? 15?
1: Yeah, 15, 20, I would say at least. Right.
3: You know, this league, because of a whole series of factors, it's nobody, there's not a business model that required instant returns and instant profits from operations. That's smart. The investors that they brought into it were deep pockets and with long-term Investment objectives. Number one. Number two, they've had an ongoing relationship with ESPN. Put aside what the ratings are; they're definitely the right media partner, as opposed, say, to the NHL, who does no longer has ESPN as a media partner. So I think that's a, a positive thing for MLS. Number three, they've associated themselves with really some of the great, you know, kind of world class brands, you know, as their corporate partners, Panasonic, exporting goods, you know, Gatorade, Budweiser, uh, Chase. Those are the kinds of brands that you want to have association with. They've got great management. And although they're expanding, they're not doing it, you know, they're doing it with care. So it took several years, but now they're adding Seattle, Philadelphia. Why? Because the situations are right. In Seattle, they've got agreement to play in the beautiful stadium that the Seahawks play in and you've got the Seahawks management involved in the deal that makes a big difference in terms of the opportunity so and then of course the whole venue thing they are in fact and I was skeptical about this you know when they started talking about soccer only venues if you remember you know eight ten years ago the fact is they've driven that and been persistent about it and they're making it happen even in places like Houston and The reason that's so critically important isn't, you know, it's partly kind of an architectural thing, right? You like to have an intimate stadium that's designed right for soccer, but the more important reason is they control their venue. And when you control your venue, then you get all the revenue flow from it. So I think they're well managed. I think they're in the right road. I think hiring, you know, bringing, I, I say hiring, you know, I think bringing in David Beckham was brilliant because it got attention. He's at the tail end of his career. It's not going to change the quality of soccer so much, but it brought attention to the brand, added credibility, and it created interest. It was
1: great. Well, I mean, an example of this, I was in Washington right after the Wizards uh, acquired Michael Jordan, and he decided to play, and looking at their sponsorships, I mean— they were very mediocre before Jordan was in the mix and after Michael Jordan, even though he was at the tail end of his career, stepped onto the basketball court all of a sudden the games are sold out and the sponsorships are sold out and I really liken you know Beckon and where Beckham and where he's at in his career to uh, his impact on the MLS I think it's very similar I agree so MLS I mean from what I'm reading if you want to buy an MLS team today you're going to pay about forty million dollars for a team which You know, really, uh, I guess when you're comparing it to an NBA team, a Major League Baseball team, an NFL team, that's chump change. I mean, if you want to buy an NFL team today, you better have a billion dollars just to have a conversation.
3: Right. But remember, uh, Brian, in the 80s, the Portland Trailblazers sold for, you know, about 80 million. So, I mean, it's all relative. And the reality is there are more people. That have the capacity, interest, and ego, I think, necessary to be an owner of a professional sports team <clears throat> than there are teams. Right. It's really that simple. It's supply and demand. Supply and demand is what drives up the price. It's not like any other business where it's a multiple of operating income, because in the case of MLS, I think you'd find that most teams probably don't have operating income. <laughs> they have revenues and expenses, and I'm. I'd be willing to guess that expenses usually exceed revenues. Right. But, but I think what they do have, so you can't do it, you know, you can't value these kinds of businesses the same way because they're driven by both economic and non-economic factors. And I think this, the, the safety valve for, for somebody buying into the MLS at this early stage is that there's a high probability that supply and demand, demand will, will continue to to to, to benefit the you know the value of the franchises the other thing I like about it if I was an investor and believe me if I had that kind of dough I'd probably go right you know I like it you know because uh, the demos I like the demos It's, it's a very young kind of family 18 to 49 demo and this is good you know I'm coaching I'm the assistant coach of my son's soccer team right now and I guess until I did that I didn't quite understand the phenomena that is soccer in the United States, and I realize that it's been challenging to trans um, to to transform kind of soccer families into paying customers right. at MLS games. And I realize that, but personally, I think if they stick to that, that ultimately you only need to convert a small fraction of those people into your fans. I think that works over time, but I just think it a, takes a long time to get there.
1: So before we wrap on soccer, my take generally is this. MLS, Major League Soccer, very good business model. Uh, League is going to be successful and continue to grow for a while. But I still think we're at least, at least a decade away from soccer being anywhere near as popular in the United States as it is in other parts of the world.
3: Yes, so, uh, no, it's your way, uh, you're not right about that. You're 100 years away.
1: Wow. Okay. So I was giving him too
3: much credit. I lived in Barcelona, Spain. Let me tell you what. Okay. I mean, this is craziness, right? This is, and then I lived in Boston. So I know what the phenomena is, say, of the Red Sox and living and being a part in, I consider myself a proud member of the Red Sox nation. So I understand the passion and intensity that people follow the Red Sox, the Yankees in New York, uh, but it's nothing compared to people who love FC Barcelona and Real Madrid and you know, uh, some of the you know, major clubs over in Europe. Uh, we'll never approach that.
1: Last question for you, Marshall. Uh, I want to talk just briefly about the NHL. Uh, they've had a decent bounce-back year. They've got a number of international stars in the league. Uh, TV ratings on NBC have been better. NBC just re-upped with the NHL. We've seen the outdoor game that drew uh, very, very successfully on New Year's Day, and there's talk of more outdoor games to come in other years, maybe even at Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium. Uh, give me your overall thoughts on where the NHL is right now.
3: Well, you're hitting me on a day where all the subjects you're bringing up make you know – I'm bullish, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm very positively disposed towards the NHL, Major League Soccer. You know, maybe on the next show we'll find some that I don't like as well, but I'm a big NHL guy. I love the game. I love the business model. Bettman did, I think, significantly improve the, uh, relationship, the, the business relationship between the players and management. Uh, so it's a, it's a sane and rational business model. Uh, I love the loyalty, uh, that NHL fans show to their clubs, win or lose. They sell, uh, more tickets and, and greater gate receipts, I think, than most NBA teams. And, you know, they have two intermissions so you get to sell more food and beverage. Uh, I love some of the stars that you're talking about and then, you know, this guy, you know, uh, what's what's his his name in Pittsburgh? I mean, Crosby? Oh,
1: yeah, Sidney Crosby.
3: Oh my god. I mean, I've never seen a guy this good. Yeah, he's this good. Guy, serious. This guy is a real entertaining. It's not just that he's great hockey player. Anybody can see watch him play and say oh, oh and he's got kind of the oh my god factor which well, is really it,
1: big and it was almost like it was scripted on new year's day the outdoor game when everyone was watching on tv even if you don't watch hockey and they have a shootout Sidney crosby has the last shot he comes down scores and basically it's a walk-off goal for the the penguins to win the game so a lot mm-hmm. of people got exposed to him and just how magical he is that day
3: exactly and i and i and i hope to you know, that it wasn't actually scripted. But, but, the, but the thing is, you're absolutely on, on the mark, Brian. I mean, that New Year's thing was great. That was so cool. And, I, you know, if I were them, I'd do that again. You know, I'd move that around. I, We've joked know.
1: they should play all their games outdoors. Yeah, well,
3: maybe. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little – but, you know, I think, I think those are the kinds of marketing moves that the NHL needs to make. Why? Because, you know, now, look, I'm biased. I grew up playing the game. I grew up around the game, but this is truly a great, exciting, intense sport. I think people don't recognize how good these athletes are. you know. And, and, and so I think Batman, he's brilliant. I've had the pleasure of knowing Gary and being in enough discussions and meetings with him over the years. He's surrounded himself by very bright people. They've got their economic house in order. I think you pointed to their new media relationships. And I like it. They're they're a league on the upswing, and their economics are rational.
1: Well, Marshall, that's all the time we have for this edition of Glickman Global. Marshall Glickman, CEO and founder of G2 Strategic. Find him online at g2strategic.net. Marshall, good to catch up with you, and we'll catch up with you again soon.
3: Thank you, Brian. I'll look forward.
1: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. and the official steakhouse of Sports Business
0: Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Radio.
1: My guest is Henry Abbott. He's the author and founder of TrueHoop.com on ESPN.com, a site that I check every single day, one of my favorite sites on all of the Internet. Henry, uh, thanks for joining us.
4: No, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So,
1: Let's talk about Kobe Bryant for a minute. The MVP race has been such a heated race this year. Uh, You know, LeBron's been in the mix. Obviously, Chris Paul, a lot of people think he may, he should have gotten the award. Kobe Bryant ultimately got his first MVP award. I know you had a vote. Who did you vote for?
4: I did not have a vote. Really? Yeah, I know. How did they not give you a vote? Because uh, I'm on the outside looking in, man. Ah,
1: uh, that's ridiculous.
4: <laughs> no, I, 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 I got no qualms. I actually kind of like not voting because I don't have to take it so seriously. But I, we, I did make a pick on ESPN.com, and, and I picked LeBron after first saying that I thought it was really a four-way tie. And honestly, one thing that made me kind of sad about the whole debate was that, for a lot of people, it was a reason to denigrate Chris Paul or denigrate Kobe Bryant or denigrate Kevin Garnett. And look... We are blessed to have four essentially flawless players this year. You know, it's, I, I don't really care who you pick. Um, I, I pick LeBron mostly because I have the conviction that the Cavaliers without LeBron are, are really terrible. And I know this is cheating, but with LeBron, they're NBA finalists. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I know the playoffs aren't supposed to be part of it, but, I, I, look, if what if he made it to the playoffs five times in a row, each time with a different crappy roster? You know, like, isn't that clearly that make him the best player in the NBA? Right. There are some people that think
1: uh, Kobe Bryant got the award for his body of work as much as anything else. Uh, Hey, Chris Paul's young. He'll win one. LeBron's young. He'll win one. Uh, Would you agree or disagree with that?
4: Well, there are um, how many voters? Like 126 or something. Right. Um, You know, I'm sure they all have their own reasons. And so I doubt there was a a real like this is why he got it thing. But um, but, you know, I, I think it makes it maybe a little more. Um, the fact that he hasn't gotten it thus far it seems to create a little bit of a ripple, you know, where it's like, wow, maybe there's some conspiracy against him. But I don't know. I, that he wasn't such a strong candidate in the years when he was supposed to have gotten it before. You know, like it was, you know, at the time of the votes, everyone seemed to think that, you know, Steve Nash or Dirk Nowitzki were, were really good picks. And when the Lakers were really good, um, Shaquille O'Neal was on the team. So this is the first chance voters have really had to vote for Kobe Bryant as the best player on an elite team. Um, and the first time he got that opportunity, he he won it. You know, so I don't think there was a conspiracy before, and I don't think that there's necessarily a a, a backlash against that conspiracy now. I think it's just kind of, you know, it, it's it's the year that he looks like the best candidate. Sure,
1: Henry. Earlier this week, uh, Game Two, Pistons Magic. The shot clock didn't start. 4.8 seconds left. Chauncey Billups comes down, hits a three. Turns out to be a pretty big shot in the course of that game. Um, I know you wrote extensively about that this week on TrueHoop dot com. What are your thoughts? You know, Commissioner Stern was on the show last week, and you know we didn't talk about shot clock management. We've seen this a few times now, and this could turn out to be a real pivotal play in this series. Uh, your thoughts on that?
4: Well, you know, it's funny we're in an era right now where people have TiVo and everyone has HD TVs and. It, it provides an opportunity for a lot more scrutiny of those kinds of things than we used to have. And I think what, what becomes clear is, you know, as, as serious as the league takes its officials, and, you know, they're they're highly paid, you know, they, we have to believe the commissioner when he says that they go to extraordinary lengths to scour the earth for the best officials, and, and you know, they rotate them and, and grade them and, you know, keep careful track of everybody's everything. Um, but keeping the, the time accurately and the scoreboard Um, are two huge parts of the game, and they leave that to, you know, outsiders. Like during the regular season, those things are done by the team, and during the playoffs, they're, you know, import someone who does it for a different team. And it seems like those might want to be NBA employees too. And the clock system particularly uh, has had some problems lately. There was a game – I can't remember now it was a Toronto Atlanta game I think. Where, yeah, I think
1: it was Toronto Atlanta.
4: Um, you know, and that and I think you know the, the clock just kind of needs to work <laughs> and yeah. uh it needs to work well. There's also an, a lingering issue out there Mark Cuban blogged about it the other day but uh and it happened last night in the second quarter in Boston. Sometimes the shot clock has more time on it than the game clock.
1: I read that blog and that was very interesting. I never uh realized
4: that. Yeah, now that you've read that, you'll notice it and um there are a lot of reasons why that's so, but it's still kind of screwy. <laughs> they, they could just have um, the thing is that the, the reason that happens is because the game clock doesn't have tenths of a second. Right. Um, so, and then and then and there was another clock incident in last night's Boston game where Boston had one second on the clock, so now the shot clock's off, and they inbounded the ball to Kevin Garnett, and then instantly the buzzer went off. Right. And um, it seemed like that wasn't really a full second. You saw Kevin Garnett kind of protest, but. I think those things are, need to be a little more precise and um and I, I don't know if it takes investment in different software or what exactly the flaw is but but it seems like it ought to it ought to work reliably now that especially now in an era when every single person with a TV and a Tivo can be uh can be a, a uh what's the word I'm looking for an informed second guesser. Right.
1: We are talking NBA with Henry Abbott. He's the author and founder of TrueHoop.com on ESPN.com. Henry, I know you've covered the Sonic situation in Seattle extensively. We've covered it pretty extensively on this show as well. Um, I'm on record saying the team will play out their lease in Seattle, but they're ultimately going to move to Oklahoma City when the lease at Key Arena expires in 2010. Uh, Commissioner Stern joined me on the show last week. He certainly doesn't sound optimistic about the Sonics' future in the state of Washington. Um, lawsuits flying back and forth, court dates maybe being postponed. What do you ultimately seeing happening with this?
4: Well, there was that ruling yesterday, which the people from Save Our Sonics interpret as a sure sign that the Sonics will be in Seattle next year. Um, that ruling was about... Uh, the the owners wanted to combine the two lawsuits so that, so that if they were to win, they could immediately have a judgment about how much they have to pay to break the lease. And um, the judge is saying, no, you can't combine the two lawsuits and see if you win, and then we'll go into a second stage of the trial where we'll see how much you have to pay to break the lease. That second stage won't, in all likelihood, complete itself in time for the for the team to move. So, you know, that seems like you're, you're well on your way, your prediction coming true. The thing that could short-circuit that would be a settlement between the city and the team um, it's that you know seems very unlikely, although Slade Gordon seemed to be kind of like he was coordinating the legal effort um, for the city seems to be uh, amenable to a settlement so mm-hmm. i don't know i i I think there's some very ornery men involved here and uh um, and Davis Stern has played this i think really really well um, so that it looks like they'll have their team in Oklahoma City and everybody will eventually be happy. The problem is that Seattle really is a good market, and it really has supported basketball well for a very long time, I mean for 41 years. And how how right do you want to be? Like sometimes I think getting what you want is is the worst thing that can happen to you. So if the NBA really does get its way and and you know march proudly out of Seattle, then what have you really won? Um, and as things go south in in Oklahoma City, they probably won't. I think it's a it's a very NBA ready market and seem to have corporate support, et cetera. But, but, um, you know, if they go south in Oklahoma city, then wow, you know, that's a, that's too bad. Yeah, definitely. I mean, listen,
1: here's my thought on this. And I know you and I have talked uh, offline about this. I think the Sonics were doomed in the state of Washington the day that Howard Schultz sold to a group led by a hundred percent Oklahoma city investors. I mean, you know, when that happened and now Howard Schultz is trying to go back and change this. And listen, I love my Starbucks like anyone else, but I think that was a really critical mistake. And now he's trying to undo it. So he's not the, the black hat or the bad guy. And I think it's a little uh, too little too late.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's David Stern's thought too, is like, look, the people were available, you know, they, whoever wanted to keep the team in Seattle could have bought it when Howard Schultz was selling it and they didn't step forward then. You know, I feel fair point, but, but, To me, the thing that gets my hackles up about this is not, you know, that Clay Bennett wants to move the team. You know, that's fine. Great. He's got that right. You know, but um, after the first year of good faith, best efforts. But um, but to me, the thing is Seattle fans never really got a chance to keep the team. You know, they – well, I think there was a – was there even a committee vote on a stadium deal or not? No,
1: I don't think there was. And, you know, frankly, Henry, uh, the Sonics have the misfortune of being third in line behind – the Seahawks and the Mariners and and people are tapped out in the state of Washington. So, you know, even if there was some sort of a vote, I think it would have been shot down. And um, I just think people have so many of the things, the the highways and the schools and other things that they're paying for in not only Washington, but in states like California, that I think the days of the taxpayer footing the bill for the billionaire
4: are over. Maybe, maybe, you know, but I, but I think also it's only fair Look, the, the idea that was tried forth when the Oklahoma City investors took over the team was they'll have real leverage, right? They'll really get to see what Seattle has to offer because when Howard Schultz on the team, no one believed the team would actually leave. So it there, everyone was complacent. So look, they're they're late to the party, but it seems like you know people like Steve Ballmer, it, that the Oklahoma City plan worked, right? They did get better offers out of Seattle, you know, for stadiums, et cetera, from having these out of town investors, but. And the first time the Seattleites really learned they might lose their team, it seems like there, there was a lot more support, and there, there is more money. So it's sort of a shame to, like, you know, rustle up all that support and then not be, actually give them opportunity to keep the team. I mean, I guess my question is if you're just a Seattle fan, you know, any old person who's been supporting the Sonics forever, you know, maybe someone's had season tickets for a few decades, you know what was that person supposed to do to keep their team? You know they had they had nothing. There's nothing they could have done.
1: Right now, I totally agree with you 100%. There, we've got a few minutes left. We're with Henry Abbott. He's the author and founder of TrueHoop.com on ESPN.com. Henry, I think the best story of the year in the NBA, without a doubt, the New Orleans Hornets. And obviously, Chris Paul's having a wonderful year. But you know, I've openly questioned the long-term viability of NBA basketball in New Orleans because there's 41 home games. The average ticket prices are pretty steep. Uh, and this, the team as a clause says they, if they don't average roughly 14,000 fans per game between now and the end of next season, they can opt out of their current arena lease. But, you know, the fans have really stepped up since the All-Star break. After the All-Star game was in New Orleans, they're playing to full crowds. The team is playing really well, and it looks like NBA basketball might actually work in New Orleans. What do you think?
4: Uh, well, I was in New Orleans for the All-Star break, and I learned two very interesting things about New Orleans uh, sports fans. The first one was, a guy said to me, "He's like, look, you know why I don't go down to Hornets games is because that um, it's so many nights a year. Right? It's in kind of a bad part of town. It's not the worst, but but and it's at night. You know, it's like a week night. So you're going to go Tuesday night or something. You're going to go down to this part of town where you don't normally go. Um, whereas for a football game, it's Sunday afternoon, and everyone and their brother is there. And there's and it's you know it's a, it's eight weekends a year, and it's easy to commit. And um, but here's the most important part about New Orleans sports fans is they'll go for a party, mm-hmm. right? So if you have a big enough spectacle, you know, I don't think that it's so important that the team is winning or not, but you've got to have a party. And, uh, you know, Chris Paul and his teammates have made it a party now. So now it's a place where if you're, you know, someone was excellent – there a lot of good places to go out in New Orleans. So you're, you know, there's stiff competition for that place where you could go whoop it up. But uh, now it's on the social calendar. And now these are people who – who they're they're not going to go see live music that night. They're going to go see Chris Paul, and um, you know now that it's a party, it's uh, it, it, it warms my heart. Like I don't, I hate to, you know, get all into, you know, this as a, a priority for your dollars in a city that has a lot of priorities for dollars. I don't even know if it's the best thing to do, but but gosh, just in terms of basketball, like I, I love what they're doing in New Orleans, and it makes me so happy to see that city just have something to get excited about.
1: Well, and as I told Commissioner Stern last week, the NBA is really to be commended for their efforts there and their commitment to that city. Henry, last question. We've only got a minute or so left. The coaching carousel is in full swing. Avery Johnson out in Dallas. Looks like Rick Carlisle is in. I'm a Suns fan, as you know. Looks like Mike D'Antoni may be on his way out to either the Knicks or the Bulls. Who's a good fit in Phoenix if D'Antoni leaves?
4: Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, you know, testing the waters with young assistants and stuff, but I don't think this is the case for that. I think you got to have one of those big names who can throw his weight around and, and get the respect of guys like Shaquille O'Neal, Grant Hill, Steve Nash, um, while still cracking the whip on the youngsters. So... I don't know. There are a lot of names. You know, I, I've got the same list of names that, that everybody else has, but um, I, I think if you go through that list and cross off the, the youngsters, I think you're probably going to find it's going to be a really big name.
1: Well, give me like three names. I can't even think of anyone. I mean, Larry Brown just got hired in Charlotte. Phil Jackson's already taken. Who's can, you know, Rick Carlisle is on his way to Dallas. Who's out there?
4: Well, there may be some other names coming free here as, the, as teams get kicked out of the playoffs. Um, one name that you keep hearing because he lives in Phoenix is Doug Collins who, you know, He sure coached some superstars in the past, so I think he'd be definitely a candidate. Um, if I had a real functioning memory, I'd tell you some more names right now, but there's some <laughs> other ones out there.
1: <laughs> okay, well, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, Robert Sarver's been on this show, too, and uh, he always makes interesting decisions, to say the least. Henry Abbott, thanks for joining us. Guests appearing during our End segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Mortons nearest you, go online to Morton's. Dot com Henry, I enjoy your work. Keep up the good work, and uh, let's catch up again soon.
4: Likewise, I enjoy your work. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, Henry. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
0: The website is sportsbusinessradio.com.
1: This summer's Major League Baseball All-Star Game on July 15th, it's going to be the highest grossing in the history of the event thanks to the fact that the game is going to be played at Yankee Stadium during the stadium's final season. This is according to the Sports Business Journal. Uh, Ad sales on Fox, they're going very well. A 30-second ad, $550,000. But the thing that I'm most excited about is Major League Baseball is going to have all these activities planned around the game, Nathan, and they're going to have a concert
2: in Central Park featuring... Bon Jovi, and I'm a closet Bon Jovi fan. Closet? I'm a a Bon Jovi fan. I don't have to be a closet about anything. I think it's
1: cool that the All-Star Game is in New York. It's in there the last year at Yankee Stadium, but I think it's.